Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome, welcome to another edition of Cardboard Philosophy, the podcast where we talk about cardboard and philosophize about it. Uh, I'm Evan. And joining me as always is Stephen. Hello. And Robert. Hello. I like that you pause between the names. That's a first. We usually mm-hmm. just Stephen Evan. <laughs> Boom. Just like that. Great. And uh, let's uh, roll a 35-sided die. Now, before we roll this, I just want to call out, have you guys noticed that this die has not shrunk? In fact, it's grown even though we've cleared off like eight topics. We're just that good. Weird. Uh, and we're getting hit with the number 23 which is why doesn't everyone love board games? This is a Steve question. Do you want to walk us through it, Steve? Basically, the idea is it feels to me like I've seen, I've experienced it myself back in the day, and I've also seen it happen where people will get really excited about a game. They'll try to show their friends or their family or like their spouse or a partner, and then that person doesn't instantly see the magic of it or you know they don't ask to play again or whatever. And sometimes you get a little frustrated or upset that, you know, they didn't love the game like you did. It's kind of this idea of, you know, obviously we are deep in the hobby, but not everybody is deep into it like this. And there's people who don't really play board games or buy board games or think about board games very much. So the question is, do those people just like hate fun? Do they hate games? Is it just a matter of they haven't been shown the right game? Or are there just some people who aren't going to like games? Should we try to find the right game to show those people? Or should we just kind of accept that they're not going to play a game with us sometimes? So I think that there is a game for everyone, but that does not necessarily mean that everyone will like games. Um, And what I mean by Mm. that is I do think if given enough runway and given enough variety and options, you will eventually find something that somebody likes. It's just a matter of whether or not that person, A, wants to stick with it long enough to find that, Or B, is it the kind of person that is going to want to engage in that way? Because you might even find a game that somebody likes, but they just don't really want to engage with it. That's not really something that's that high on their priority list of things to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also agree that there is a game for everyone. But I also think that statement is too easy of a statement to make. Yeah. Because can I find a game for any given person? Like, yeah, sure, it exists, like, hypothetically, but... I think that there are some people uh, for whom it would be difficult to find in my collection or in collections I know games that they like. Also, I think as Evan is saying, if you do find a game that somebody likes, it still might not be their favorite hobby because I've noticed that there's kind of like two types of entertainment consumers. There's like the passive consumer who just wants the entertainment to like be fed to them kind of while they just sit and do nothing and like the active consumer wants to like readily engage with it and i think in in movies for example or shows it's really easy to find both kinds movies that make you think ask you to engage and movies that just say sit back and have a good time but with games they're almost always active you need to give something back to the game it's really hard to have a good time when playing a game and you don't give anything to it even if it's a dumb game so to speak you still have to be giving something it requires energy and and brain power I know uh, with like my wife, 
she a lot of times like after work she feels you know her her brain she's just like i've been thinking all day i've been solving problems you know i don't want to actively be like engaging my brain i kind of just want to like watch a story and just like let it happen you know Mm -hmm. um so she often is not in the mood for like a board game even if it's a very light you know what we would all call a very light game she's like no i don't want to have to think and make decisions i just want to like you know enjoy it i just want to have it happen and i don't think yeah i think you're right there's not really a board like there's not many if any games like maybe there's one where you can have a player sit off to the side and just like narrate or watch or read something but like it's not very common for sure so that's us saying that board games might not be for everyone if you are if if there's a person who only wants passive consumption let me ask this is it more a matter of there is maybe a game for everybody but not a board tabletop game like some people really like sports or you know um i don't know i'm sure there's other types of games that like if we broaden our definition a bit to games well i'll include something that i don't consider a game which is cards against humanity (laughs) and that might actually speak to the popularity of that with what robert's saying is that like it's a pretty passive experience it's i'm gonna play a card and if people think it's funny then we move on to the next person like a lot of people don't even really keep score from what i've observed with that game again game in quotes um and the reason i don't really count it as a game is it's just people saying offensive stuff for a laugh at a party usually but a lot of people like it i think i think that might be the closest thing i can think of now that you say it to a passive game because yeah, you can just throw any card down and the cards are set up such that it's probably going to be something that somebody at the table will find funny and so you're kind of like watching a thing happen and laughing about it i'm now imagining like something i feel like 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 if we just rolled some dice and decided it was i'm evens your odds or something and we just rolled dice and we're not making any decisions that doesn't sound super fun but like is that a game <laughs> i mean isn't that that's, craps yeah that's that's vegas it, it, it's not a game unless you start putting large amounts of money <laughs> on it and then all of a sudden <laughs> but that to me is also a very passive like you kind of yeah. are just sitting there watching it happen yeah. sure i'm picking up yes. the dice and using my hands to move them but i'm not like choosing anything really yeah in the world of games i would say like slot machines yeah. and craps and stuff yeah. like that totally would be passive if we brought in the definition that wide to include all kinds of games, then I would definitely say there is a game for everybody. And people know what their game is, whether it be mm. a sport, um, a, like a, a classic game like checkers or something, or a card game. People know it. They're, everybody that I've met in my life plays something. Play is just such a fundamental like part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from play. I do want to push this one step further, though. Is the act of teaching and owning the game going to shift that dynamic for the person playing where they don't necessarily have to be as engaged because they're not learning the rules i don't know if i'm asking that uh very well i think i get what you're getting at they definitely have to do less brain work probably or you take on a little more mental weight but i think you know you're still both active um you have one person who's sort of the rule master in most gaming setups and then you have the person who's engaged with that rule set, but isn't as engaged as the person who's kind of acting as the rules police. And I think that might be one of the things that holds a lot of people back from, you know, this being their hobby is that can be a lot of legwork in advance prior to actually putting this in front of other people. Yeah, I think we're getting into like the barriers of loving games. And I would say rules top barrier. Yeah, for sure. 
Like that's like the, the the main thing that I hear people complain about or get worried about. I think getting into the barriers would be actually pretty interesting because that's going to tell us why people don't love games and how we can maybe reduce those barriers to get more mm-hmm. people to love them. I think I would agree that rules is top of the list and or just the idea of I have to learn rules. Like something about rules doesn't seem very fun, you know? <laughs> uh, I know my wife hates when I use the word crunchy because it just implies rules and she's just like, I immediately, that's not a game I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining crunchy is your wife's moist. Like, you just say, ooh, this is so crunchy. Yeah, she's just oh, like, oh, oh no. <laughs> rules are so weird though because games only exist within the, within the confines of a rule set, right? Besides that, it's just a box of stuff. Yeah, like that, it, that is the dice game. and cardboard. There's nothing. It's, it's nothing until you assign rules, but everybody also hates them. Except for a few weirdos like us, but yeah. That's why I don't like a lot of sports. I, I Baseball is such a slow game to begin with, and then you factor in just how much rules load there is. It's like, why does anybody <laughs> like this? But yet, if you sit me down in front of, like, on Mars, it's, oh, yeah, let's do this. And it's, it's no different. You're still going to be there for three hours. You're still going to have to learn all these weird edge cases. So I think that's part of it is gotcha rules or the, like, oh, you can't do that. Or I, I don't think anybody likes to feel like they don't, understand how something's working or to be told like oh no you can't do that or oh you don't understand it all yet like when the rule feels like it's something like you play a card okay cool i I get that playing a card is easy that doesn't even feel like a rule that just things like that feels like a thing i do but when the rule it starts to feel like a rule and it's like well you can't put cards in this column unless they're rotated sideways and it's green you know like that feels like a rule where it's like facts and things i have to remember and laws and you know uh I'm going to go to do something and somebody's going to tell me, no, no, no. That reason is why people often try to get others to love games via lighter games first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like the idea of a gateway game or like, you know, show them a card game. Or like when you go to your family, you don't bring anything with more than like a 2.0 weight on BGG. It's like light stuff. But ironically, I have found that that can backfire because those games could be just too simple for some people. Like, there mm-hmm. are many people who I have shown card games to, and they were like, eh, it's fine. And if I remember me first getting into the hobby, I didn't care about these little games. To me, the excitement was in the larger stories that games could tell. Yeah. Mm. And so, like, my gateway was Rising Sun, which is not a light game. And at the time, it was actually really heavy. It was, like, one of the first board games I'd played besides Life, Monopoly, Catan. Mm-hmm. And so it felt quite heavy, but that was the fun of it. Mm-hmm. And like for my wife, that game was through the ages, which is still heavy to this day. But I tried so many light card games to get her to like games and they were all not working. So rules are both a large barrier, but also a lot of the fun of games lies within rules. So it's like you got to figure out the person and see what amount of rules would be just right for them. Because it's not true that minimal rules is good for everybody. Right. I think the history and the experience of the person can also impact that. Because I also had a similar thing where uh, during the pandemic, I was trying to get, you know, my folks to play stuff because, you know, we're all at home. There's only so much TV you can watch before, you know, your brain just kind of starts to shut off. (laughs) And I was trying a lot of those sort of gateway style games and they weren't working. And what I found was a lot of the stuff that they had played as kids is stuff like Monopoly, stuff like um, Scrabble, where there's not a ton of player agency the interaction that they had with games like Euchre is actually giving you player agency because you're choosing what cards to play. And so we started playing card games and man, that fixed the problem because you throw a board in there and you just assume, oh, well, the game is going to tell me what to do. 
But as soon as you introduce cards, it's, oh, well, I'm going to tell the game what to do with the cards. And so the actual mechanisms and medium in which you're engaging with the mechanics determined their enjoyment. Yeah, I think you're definitely right that the person's like background or history with games definitely matters. And I think everybody can kind of come at it in different directions. And, you know, some people didn't grow up playing board games mm -hmm. at home or with their family or something like, or some of us had siblings that you played games with, whereas others don't, you know, so I think people have had been learning rules their whole lives where some people haven't been doing it as much. And so they're just not as used to those ideas or they're just not used to that being a thing you do when you have free time even, you know what I mean? Like it's just not a thing they think of as like how to kill an hour. Whereas me, any, any gap of time, I'm like, let's play some cards or something, you know? I think there's also can be a bit of a stigma attached to it where that's a thing for kids. Whereas like, you know, movies and TV has somehow been able to last long enough that it's been able to throw off that blanket statement as, oh, that's just a thing for kids. And now obviously movies are for everyone. You know, it could be a kid's movie, it could be an adult movie, it could be, you know, this philosophical journey um, into the mind of a madman. Like there's all sorts of different things you can get with a film or a TV show. Whereas I feel like board games obviously have broken off of that stigma in certain circles. But I'd say in the general populace, you go over to someone and say, hey, one of my you know, big hobbies is board games. They're like, like kids games? Yeah. There's also the stigma of like nerdiness or geekiness attached. Yeah. Because I think all the, most of the traditional hobby games are fantasy or sci-fi. Like all these, mm -hmm. all these themes that a white dude would really be into. <laughs> I think we're breaking away from that now, which is nice. And so like another barrier alongside rules um, could be stigma, which is mm -hmm. kids. It's for kids, um, and also it's for geeks. So I would put that pretty high up there. I don't know if that'd be my number two barrier, but it would be up there. I think my number two barrier might actually be time commitment, mm -hmm. because there's like a social contract. You know, like you like if it's a TV show or a movie that you don't like, you can stop after ten minutes. It's like a solitary experience. If somebody else is watching, you leaving does not affect them, but you leaving a game with three other people affects those three other people. And you feel that pressure to like stay, even if you're not enjoying it. And so I think the fear of not liking it or wanting to leave um, is, is a barrier because most people, when they think about playing board games, they probably think about their classic board games that take hours, um, even yeah. as kids. And I think it's a different kind of time as well, right? Like you ask somebody to go see a movie that's two hours long, nobody's going to even bat an eye, but you say, hey, let's play a two-hour board game. And they're like, oh, that sounds intense. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because yeah. it's not the same two hours. You're actively thinking yeah. and doing and learning, and you know, right. Like we said, just to circle back to what Robert was saying, I think part of that hesitancy to just walk away from something is also the setup time, and like it's going to take time to tear it down now. So you've already spent like 15 minutes setting this up. We've played for five. Now we're just going to be tearing it all down, which is going to take another like 10, 15 minutes. It can feel like more of an imposition even taking the feelings of those other three players out of the equation than it would to say, hey, let's just throw another DVD into the DVD player. I think I have another barrier. I think to some degree, games kind of force you to interact with each other. I mean, some more than others, but I think there's some level of interaction or people assume there is. And so in a way, it kind of puts you on the spot to be more engaged and active and talking with people. So if you are, say, like with a group of people that you don't really know super well and they all say, hey, let's play a game, 
you might be like, I don't really know these people. I don't really want to get up and do charades and, you know, like be dancing around and, you know, I don't feel quite comfortable yet. So I, I feel like that sometimes is a barrier where you don't want to just break out something with the whole group yet because maybe not everybody's comfortable or whatever. So it's personal, right? That's kind of what you're getting at. Like in one way or another, it becomes personal, like not just negatively, but even, you know, it could be positively personal. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. Just that you have to have like a certain level of yeah familiarity or yeah, it, it does kind of get personal. I mean, it, it, it's intimate. Yeah, 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 intimacy? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's a certain level of that of intimacy that I think it requires. Do we think cost is as well? Because going yes. back to the idea of rising sun, like if that is somebody's game that is going to get them into the hobby, that's be, like right now, especially since like the Kickstarter version is well out of print, like that's going to cost you 300 bucks to get into. Or if you get the retail version, $100. Yes, I would definitely put cost on that list. But if, if, this, if this episode is about... Why don't people like board games? How can you get them to like board games? We're assuming that the people listening already have the games and we just want them to yeah. play with us, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think, like, kind of for somebody trying to get into board games on their own, I would put costs at the top of the barriers. But if it's more about getting other people to play with yeah. those of us who own games, you know, that, that, that goes off the list, which is kind of nice. We reduce a barrier mm-hmm. for them. We've already bought the game, so they don't have to worry about buying it. Yeah, same with like the learning rules you were talking about earlier, Evan. Like, you know, if you are just sitting alone and you want to get into the, yeah. that is a, a, a thing you have to overcome. I would say it's still a barrier for the for the learner, though. If yeah. I'm teaching you a game, you still got to keep the rules in check. That's true. You still pay attention yeah. for 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So we got rules, time commitment, stigma, and intimacy. Um, intimacy. Those are the four barriers. To keep somebody from loving board games. We need a fifth because all good lists are made of five. <laughs> hmm. Maybe this is too close to intimacy, but I would say competitiveness. Hmm. Yeah. Some people are too competitive. Like they just won't have fun if they don't win. And that's a larger problem, which they could talk to a therapist <laughs> about. Um, but the second reason that competitiveness matters is because some people just don't want to be competitive Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. not fun for them right for us even though i don't think any of us really care if we win the fact that we are competing is fun like just in and of itself competition is a fun thing that's why we might like sports or or you know any game where there's like a winner and a loser it's the pursuit of the goal it's Mm -hmm. the hunt Mm -hmm. yes canizia quote enter here ding (laughs) great um so yeah i'd say competitiveness would be my candidate for the fifth barrier yeah i think that's a good uh a good solid five point list yeah i think that speaks to why something like uh just one which i think we've brought up before um it yeah i think works so well and is a a great game for just like a light group or a dinner party or something because you get rid of the competitiveness there's very few rules you know an overhead or setup time or there's not a board or anything too intimidating um and i mean you do have to be sort of intimate and know each other and it does ask, ask things of you, but I don't know. I, I, I think you're, you're kind of part of the group. You can kind of write your word and it can just, I don't know. I think it, it can be, it doesn't ask too much of you. So I, I think that's also why party games tend to be cooperative or games where you don't really need to keep score. 
we're team based. Okay, so what if we spend the next few minutes talking about how to reduce those barriers? If if the goal is to get other people to love or like games at least, just buy Canizias. <laughs> just buy Canizias. You know, I think so. So rules, absolutely. Canizias will reduce rules. Um, what was number two? Time, right? Yeah. yeah, they tend to be short. Number three was stigma. Eh, they have not so amazing themes. Some of them have nicer themes, but many of them are like old history or fantasy. Yeah. But also there, there's a few like non-theme. Mm-hmm. There's like many non-themes like Shot and Todd and like doesn't really have a theme. Like the cards have pictures on them. But I think the 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 one where you might lose people is the intimacy and the competitiveness because they're very interactive. Yeah. And they're also very cutthroat sometimes. I think knowing the person that you're trying to set in front of, obviously that helps the intimacy thing because you're going to have some level of knowledge of them. But I do think the thematics of it can do a lot to at least invite that person into it. I'll use Cascadia as an example, which I don't necessarily think has the smoothest scoring. So it does have a little bit of confusion towards the end of the game. But it's a very simple rule set. You grab a tile, you place a tile, and it's such a inviting theme. It's such a calming theme. It's just it's also something you can just kind of chat with while you're doing. Um, I think that's actually a really great way if it's the right person. But if it is someone that you know they're an economist or they're a programmer or they're someone that likes to have a little bit more load on their brain, that's probably a bad game to suggest to them because even though it's a very inviting theme the actual mechanics are probably going to be disappointing to them. You have stuff, like I said, just one cooperative that tries to get rid of the competitive nature of it. Um, but you could still care about winning, maybe. Um, I also think of stuff like Drawful is like a big one that I think a lot of groups, I mean, that's more of a video game maybe, um, and game even, <laughs> it's debatable. But it's like, if you're trying to reduce the competitive barrier, that does it by kind of removing winning and it's more just about you draw silly pictures that you then try to guess the name of but really it's just kind of about laughing and and part of that is like you can't erase in it right so that's like built in to make it even sillier and goofier and to try to like make it so it's not about drawing well you know even the good drawer messes up and can't erase and stuff so um i I think games like that try to reduce that barrier I think past history with games too can be very helpful. So I have a friend who I knew used to play Pokemon. And so I invited them over to play Moonrakers once, which is a card game where it's semi-cooperative. You're playing cards, you're building up a deck, which I thought would kind of feel similar to what you're doing in a game of Pokemon, like you're building a deck from a meta context. And that actually wound up really working out well, loved the game and is now a regular member of our game group. So that's not to say that that's, you know, 100% guarantee going to work, but it was knowing, hey, this person likes this kind of game. This is that, but with a little bit more and a bit more in a streamlined modern board gamey sense. That's the dream. Yeah, get them into your group. Yeah, that's the dream. I'm also thinking not just about the quantity of all these things, but also the quality yeah. of them. So like I was saying earlier that simply having less rules is not necessarily good for all people. But having intuitive easy to remember rules even if there are many of them is really important so like a dry soulless euro i think would be a bad first game impression for anybody we like them now but that's because we have a lot of shorthand and we just you know we've built up our our knowledge of games so even if a game is somewhat complicated like maybe medium or even heavyweight and you're trying to get somebody to 
play it and love it, make sure that game has intuitive rules. And then in terms of like time spent, we also might think, oh, to reduce the time barrier, I have games that take less time, but that's not necessarily true. I have found and still find many short games to leave people cold, like, oh, that's it. I didn't mm -hmm. really do anything. So even an hour, you know, up to two hour game could still be fun if the time spent is quality time. So like not a lot of waiting on your turn. That's why games like Catan and Moonrakers, I think, are good because you're constantly negotiating or like it's constantly your turn or games with quick turns where your turn comes around fast. So you're not waiting for a long time. What do we think then of let's say there's a game that we think would land really, really well. It has a set number of turns, let's say 10 turns, but we want to be mindful of that time do you think at that point it's a smart thing to potentially even house rule the length of the game to accommodate that and say like hey we're going to play a shorter game this time just so that everyone kind of get a feel for it if we play it again it'll be a little bit longer but like you'll have everything down at that point no <laughs> <laughs> i think what we're ultimately saying is you need to know your audience and know which barriers exist right like which are the barriers that are keeping this person from learn wanting to play a game? Is it the time? Cool, that's the one I need to address and I need to try to find a game that gets around that. But if that's not the problem, then don't worry about that. To like Robert's point, like don't get a short game if that's not the thing that is you know holding them back. It might not be obvious what their barriers are, but I think that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah, like the reason I said no to Evan's question point blank is I think it might be better to say, if you don't like this, we can stop. Mm -hmm. Just like from the get-go i think that's much better than house ruling and then accidentally breaking something in the game and then the game not being as fun and you being guilty slash regretful about mm -hmm. it unless any of you guys have anything else you want to contribute to this then um and this is going to kind of contradict steve's beautiful summary but what would you say has been your reliable like if you just have kind of started to get to know this person you aren't like you know 10-year best friends with them what's the game you're bringing out to introduce this side of you to them? Do you want to make that our impromptu game of the week or do you want to do something different? Uh, Robert's face says, I want to do something different, but I don't know what it is. No, no, no. My face says, that's a hard question. I might need three games. Yeah, so for our impromptu thing, and this might be crazy, let's try and find one game for each category or try to find as many games to cover as many categories as we can that we personally have either had success with or that we would try to use. Well, I will start by saying, for me, uh, Botswana, Wildlife Safari, whatever you want to call the Knizia game. Uh, I personally have the, the Japanese Botswana. It's a newer version. It's very pretty. Uh, it's cute. The art is great. I think that hits at least a few. It definitely, I think, rules. It's very rules light. There's like two rules. Um, I think it can solve some stigmas. Maybe it still looks like a toy or a game, or once you get into the playing it, it is kind of like almost economy. Um, but I think on the cover, it looks very cute. It's very approachable. I've had several people just see it on my shelf and say, ooh, what's this? Like, you know, just friends that come over. Um, mm -hmm. It, it is competitive, so I don't think it solves for that. I don't know if it's intimate. I mean, I guess it's intimate in the way that a game is. You know, you do have to interact with each other, so I don't know that it solves for that. I wonder, though, if the intimacy portion of that conversation, mm, you're never going to win that person over because, like, it's so inherently... Mm -hmm. into, like, but even watching a movie, I think, has that where you're sitting 
probably quasi close to each other. It's not going to end and you don't then discuss the movie. Like there is a portion of yourself you're going to have to put out there regardless of what you're interacting with. And if you aren't comfortable doing that with this person, mm-hmm. why are you even with them? Hmm. I'm trying to think of at least like the the one that requires the least. But I think you're right, Evan, to the point of it, it is kind of a barrier. I think it's part of what people are nervous about playing a game. But if you try to like remove that from a game, it starts to remove what makes games so great. And that's that you're interacting with each other. Yeah, I don't think we should be trying to remove these barriers because mm. they're inherent to games. You can't get away from reading rules, spending mm-hmm. time, being intimate. It's just like reducing the anxiety that the int- that, that barrier creates, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. could be, again, by reducing the amount of rules or by reducing the amount of intimacy necessary mm-hmm. um, or awkward moments or personal moments it could create. So I think I have three games. I have one that hits all five. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to argue for it. I have one that hits three and one that hits four. Okay. So I'll go, I guess, worst to best in terms of how many it hits. So my three, my third would be Moonrakers, which I think hits rules, time, and competitiveness. Moonrakers is a deck building negotiation game, as Evan mentioned, and I played exclusively as a gateway, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. So if it's somebody new to games, I think it's a great one. So it hits rules because there are not that many. Although it's certainly not a light game. I would probably give it like between light and medium. I would not call it a light game. It's somewhere near medium. But the amount of rules are superseded by the fact that it is very open. And you can easily ask questions to people and have them answer questions. Because the first half of that game is very cooperative. So this is also how it gets rid of competitiveness. It is competitive at the end. But in the first half, everybody is helping everybody else. So you can openly just say, here's my hand. If I do this, is that how that works? Yep. And you didn't like give any information away. You didn't like ruin the game. We're all working together in the first half. So competitiveness actually has a really nice kind of uh, ramp up where it becomes more and more competitive as the game goes along, which is great for a first timer. And then time, it takes an hour and a half to play, but it's a negotiation game. So you're almost always involved, whether or not it be your turn proper. And then second place would go to just one, which Steve has mentioned. I think that hits everything except for intimacy because you do need intimacy with the group for it to be fun you don't need to be best friends but it's great after a dinner party after you've had conversations and then those conversations weave into the game and so it's, it's really good for that kind of meta and you're kind of exposing yourself a bit you know by writing a word on the thing and showing it to mm-hmm. everybody you have to be a little vulnerable and you know show what word you think of when you hear that other word <laughs> And then the one that I think hits all of them, and I'm going to argue that they, it does. I'm getting ready to ding. <laughs> That's, it's Whale Riders. Oh, Ding. Yeah, okay. So uh, rules, I think it's really rules light. There's five things you can do, and you pick two on your turn, and those five things are really simple things. It is a game about moving a person on a whale to go buy goods and fulfill contracts. So the game is a contract fulfillment game going up and down like a set of islands i think it is or one island and there's different ports that you're buying stuff from rules wise it's like you move you buy a thing you fulfill a contract you get a you get a coin or you can get new contracts like it's just a very very easy to explain time it takes 30 minutes depending on player count but it's about 30 minutes so it's not the shortest game but it's also not exceedingly long and the turns whip around really fast it's like it feels like it's always your turn and then I don't think there's much stigma attached to it because it's not like fantasy or sci-fi. The, the pictures are like pretty calm and nice. I think it's Vincent Dutre, so it doesn't have like that 
like 80s fantasy look even though it maybe it could if somebody was was doing it in the 80s so i think it's an inviting theme lots of nice you know calm blues and then in terms of intimacy there is some direct interaction and moments where somebody can buy something that you were hoping to buy but it doesn't ever feel really personal and i think you could easily play it in silence and have a good time like it doesn't require people to know each other well and then in terms of competitiveness you don't know exactly what people's scores are until the very end of the game Mm -hmm. and everybody has a plan of their own that they're kind of going for and you don't have to worry too much about what somebody else's plan is so the game doesn't require you to know exactly what everybody else is doing so yeah i think whale riders hits all five and yes it is a knizia game but that was to be expected so i'm really struggling to come up with one that hits all five um, because, and this is more so just a me thing. I think I hang out with people that are generally fairly competitive or at least engage in some form of gaming already where it's like they play video games. They just don't play board games or they play sports. So like they're used to competition. So I don't really have to find that niche in my collection. But what I will say is, um, my number three is probably going to be high society Dang. because very, very light rules, very, very quick. And I don't think there's as much stigma attached to it because it's, hey, let's play a card game. So most people at least have played a folk card game or something involving like a 52 deck of cards. It's not that at all, but at least it is using something familiar. It's very accessible from a component standpoint. I think taking it one level up from there would be something like Through the Desert where you are- Ding, retroactive ding. And then ding for this one. Oh, I did it. It was very exciting. <laughs> I was waiting though. for it. Uh, I, I think it kind of deals with the intimacy thing a little bit. Obviously, your competitiveness jumps up a little bit because of that. Because you can sort of be off in the corner building your own camel trail. But eventually, someone is going to take something that you wanted. But I feel like in that game, it's usually something you can kind of see. And you can sort of be doing a micro race with that person. So I'm not sure that that's the best to cover for. But I feel it kind of does. And then... I want to say Moonrakers for the one that covers everything because I do think that's a really, really great entry point for a lot of people, but I don't think it necessarily covers the stigma thing because it's space. But with that being said, Star Wars is a multi-billion dollar industry and most people have watched it and most people will go see a new one if it comes out. So maybe I'm just seeing space as having a stigma to it because it did when I was a kid and I don't know if it has that same level of stigma or if I'm just pretending I live in an 80s movie. I don't know. The one thing that Moonrakers doesn't have, and I think I strongly feel this, is the intimacy. Like, it doesn't reduce yeah. the intimacy barrier. Yeah, You're yeah, negotiating. Yeah. It would be really yeah. hard for an outsider to, like, gel with the, the usual group. You need to know the people, and sometimes you're actually going to yeah. be a jerk in the negotiation, and that, that's mm-hmm. too intimate, um, I think. And that's why I don't think it's a great five to cover all five, is because I have had games of that where, even though the person knew all of us, they just didn't feel comfortable negotiating, yeah. so they basically sat there. And that was weird. I want to throw Zuvatis in there too, which would just make <laughs> mine a top three Canizias, but <laughs> that doesn't fix the intimacy issue mm-hmm. because that is a negotiation game. But I think it takes the edge off the negotiations because even if you don't want to negotiate and you just say, yeah, have my vote, you still get points. So it's very, I think it's a really good first step into the intimacy the board games can offer because there is that safety net of as long as you're okay to say yes, you will get something that can help you win the game. I think I've only said two, right? Just one and Botswana. So 
get your dingers ready because my third one's going to be hot lead hot lead yeah ding um much more uh, oh ding i thought you said heat pedal to the metal i'm like that's not kinetia <laughs> um hot lead is much easier to get your hands on these days than botswana but um i think that i think that solves at least a good chunk of them I was trying to come up with a competitive one and it is competitive, but I think it's, you, you really, you lay down your card and you have no way to know what everybody else is doing. And so even if you like steal their card, it's not like you actively said, I'm going to do that from you. You, you're just going for what you're trying to do. And then you all laugh about which ones you end up with. And then, you know, somebody ends up with the most points. And I, I feel like it's a very, uh, friendly, like, I feel like the competition is pretty low. It's pretty easy to get into. It's also very quick, very easy, you know, rules, time, intimacy. I mean, I think I think you don't have to know people super well. I would I would pull that game out with strangers, you know. Yeah, I've played it with a stranger. I wonder why. Um, yeah. yeah, and and even like the I think the 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 art helps to get around the stigma a little bit. I mean, there's a certain stigma around police, maybe, but <laughs> um, as far as like geeky topics, um, I don't yeah. think it falls into the stereotypical camps there. Great pick. Then that does it for another episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please be sure to rate it on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, I don't know how that helps us out. I just know that that's what every other podcast I listen to says it helps. So, hey, I'll take a five star if I can get it. Uh, you can also ask your own questions, contribute to the conversation by sending an email to cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com. And uh, be sure to uh, keep it locked here two weeks. We've got another episode dropping. In the interim, play some games. 